Tim, so good to have you back, brother. Thank you. Thank you for leading us and the whole team this morning. Just wonderful. Is that rain that I'm hearing? Yeah, that's kind of sweet too. Well, let me welcome you this morning. My name is Rob, and I'm the lead pastor of Fellowship, one of two teaching pastors, along with Lloyd. And if you're new to Fellowship, the way we work is we have two campuses here and at Brentwood, and Lloyd and I alternate back and forth. So while I'm here, he's at Brentwood and uh, the other way around. So we'll typically alternate back and forth. We're, we're doing some different things a little bit this summer. We're in this series on Proverbs, and we're bouncing around a little bit throughout the book of Proverbs where we're each having a chance to pick out some Proverbs that have been very meaningful to us or particularly relevant to our time and place. <laughs> Typically what we'll do, and we'll get back to this in the fall, is we'll just pick a book of the Bible and we'll start chapter one, verse one, and we'll just walk right through it. And, and that's what we're gonna be doing in the fall. And I hope you've been enjoying this Proverbs series. And I'm getting ahead of myself to do have a couple of announcements before we get into Proverbs. The first is this, if you are new to fellowship, and I know that's a number of you in the room because this is the, the time of year and particularly kind of a moment coming out of the, of the isolation that m many of us have been in with the pandemic to, to get back into church. Maybe you're exploring, maybe you're new to the area or maybe you're just exploring fellowship. Thank you for being here. You're very, very welcome here. And I hope you feel that. And I hope you're able to engage and worship with us. Uh, I wanna invite you to something. Um, if you go to that website, connectatfellowship.com, you'll learn about the best next steps. And we have a class. It's a very low-key, casual class. The first Sunday of every month here called Intro to Fellowship. That's the best place to learn more about our mission, our values, who we are, why we do what we do. And you can just get more information and, and ask your questions. Now, I have to admit, I don't know for sure if we're having that on July 4th, because that's the first Sunday of, of the next month. My suspicion is we've rescheduled it. So if you go to that website, you'll be able to get information about that as well. Our mission at Fellowship is to glorify God and make disciples by helping people find wholehearted life in Jesus. And here's what that means. That means that we're not just casually here just to kind of do a social thing. We're here to follow Jesus. We're here to actually pursue life in Jesus. And then we're here to, to, to once we find that life, pass it out, like let it go transcend the walls of this church. And so while I was worshiping with you all this morning there, uh, sitting on the standing actually on the front row, I was thinking about, you know, there's some things in my heart that for me to, to give wholehearted expression to my love of Christ this morning, that, that I just need to spend some time in confession. So while we were down there singing, part of me was in prayer and I was just spending some time in confession. And I thought, I want to give us all an opportunity to do that this morning. And so I'm going to pray in a minute. And normally this is just the offertory prayer. You know, this is the time we would do that, announcements and then pray for the offering. And it will be that, of course. I will pray for the offering, but I also want to leave some space in this prayer for us as a body, just privately, in, in your own heart, to confess your sins to God and receive the forgiveness that is ours as a guarantee through faith in Jesus Christ. And I want us just to be able to wholeheartedly hear from him through the word this morning and wholeheartedly worship him through music after the message and, and as we celebrate the Lord's table together. And so I want us to be able to do that with all of our hearts. And so would you bow your heads with me? And I wanna lead us just in a time of confession and, and a time uh, for us to reflect on our giving as well. And Father, we, we do come to you with um, beautiful fear, the, the kind of fear that would draw us towards you, not away from you because we recognize um, not terror, but we recognize love from your heart. 
And so, Father, even as we draw near to you, we recognize in our own hearts um, places and things that you bring to our attention that um, are not pure, that aren't right, that would not be according to your desire for the life that you would have for us. And so, Father, we take just a moment right now to confess those things. And we confess in faith and confidence and assurance that our sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so right now, congregation, we'll give you just 30 seconds, 60 seconds as a time of confession before our God. we thank you for the gift of your son Jesus Christ, the assurance of the pardon that we have as we confess our sins. And Father, I want to pray now as one of the pastors of this church, I want to pray for this body, for men and women who have fear and doubt and questions and suffering commingled with joy and hope and expectation and strength. Father, I pray for them that you would open up their hearts to your love, that they would know the joy and the peace of leaning toward you, not away from you that you would comfort us all this morning with the knowledge of your goodness, the knowledge of your greatness, all the things that we've already been singing about, Father. And even as we hear this rain representing your blessing on this earth, that we would know you care, you see, you love us. And Father, as we hear from your word this morning, I pray that our eyes would be open and our hearts would be open to what you would have to say to us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18. We're going to look at the text that, that Tim referenced this morning in the call to worship. You know, as I mentioned, one of the things I actually love about this series is giving Lloyd and myself and the other teachers who are teaching in this series an opportunity to pick some Proverbs that have been meaningful. And, you know, this one, is, as Tim kind of referenced, I'll honestly share, this is a new proverb for me. I mean, I'm sure I have read it multiple times in the past, but it never really struck me. There's actually two Proverbs that we'll be looking at, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 18. But this week, it really landed on me in a significant way because I was thinking about all that we've walked through in 2020 and even in early 2021 and just the, the cultural what's going on and, and all of the things that have been in the conversation in the, the cultural water in the last 15 or 16 months. And I read this proverb, these two proverbs with new eyes. And so I want to put it on the screen and, and read it. If you have your Bible, you can follow along as well. I'm reading from the ESV, Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, 
but only in expressing his opinion. This is the living word of God for us today. I don't know that I found a better pair of Proverbs when I think about the last 15 months or so. Uh, This idea of isolating has been an interesting one that's been all on our minds. And in many ways, we've been encouraged to isolate. In fact, I was thinking if you could name one word or phrase that, that probably is the phrase of 2020, it would be... There it is. I think the phrase is social distancing. It's this idea that we all need to kind of stay apart from each other. Now, I've had a big conflict in my heart around that idea. Because on the one hand, I want to do everything I possibly can to keep people I love safe. I mean, physically safe. And so when I hear my doctor and I hear experts in the field say, no, listen, you really need to to take precautions and and social distance and do all these things. And they know more about this than I do. And so, you know, the the way that we've chosen to lead our church is we've tried to, through a lot of prayer through this pandemic, we've said, God, what would you have us to do? And part of what we believe the Spirit called us to do is to practice this, to to social distance in the right proper context. We didn't want to go too far either direction, but we really wanted to, to really put the health and well-being of our body in its proper priority. And at the very same time, the phrase social distancing bothers me. Like it bothers my heart. It bothers me from a spiritual perspective because God did not make us for isolation. God did not make us for social distancing. You know, so can you hold these two things in tension with me a little bit? It's like absolutely from a physical medical perspective, be wise and we need it and, and, and still need in the right context to be living that out. And from a spiritual standpoint, we have to be doing the opposite of social distancing. So this very phrase has created a lot of tension in me, internal conflict. And what this proverb is reminding us is, you know, what happens when we isolate. Now, the context here is, is, is obviously spiritual isolation. It's, it's um, kind of being, you know, uh, uh, socially separate from others in, in a different kind of way than, than what you would need to do in a pandemic. That wasn't the context. The pandemic wasn't the context that Proverbs 18 was written. But it still is this idea that human beings were not made for isolation. And there's a sense that how easy is it for us to sort of separate ourselves from the ideas and contexts and and perspectives of others so that we just kind of wallow in our own selfishness and our own desire. That's that's part of what verse one is saying. Now, several have asked me, hey, what's been the hardest thing about leading a church, about being a pastor in 2020? And to be frank, it wasn't covid It wasn't having to make the decisions that we had to make about what are we going to do with masks? What are we going to do about social distancing? I mean, honestly, that was a headache. And part of me wished that we were part of a denomination so that someone else would tell us what we had to do. But we're not. You know, we're an independent church. We had to make these decisions on our own. That was a pain. But you know what was even harder for me than that was the other kind of divisiveness that was all around us that that 2020 just brought out. Um, People taking sides bunkering themselves further and further into an us versus them mentality. Here are just a few phrases that represent some of the fault lines of the divisiveness that we have all felt in the last 15, 16 months. COVID, you know, is is it a serious problem or is it overblown? There's divisiveness there. Racial tensions. Mask requirements, Confederate monuments, 
the 2020 election, social justice, the breach at the Capitol, or however, what word you choose to describe that. That's part of, that's part of the, the tension. Vaccinations now. And, and we could go on and on and on. And by the way, part of what's made this hard is the way we get our information today, generally speaking, even just further reinforces whatever perspective we have because we have the option of just tuning into news outlets and media places that just reinforce our own view of things. And, and so it's been, it's been, it's been divisive. Um, I, I know I don't have to tell you all that as if it's something you didn't know. Uh, I heard a lot of stories about family gatherings, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas in 2020, where these things would come up. And, you know, in certain family contexts and certain friend group contexts, these things just had to be put off limits because we couldn't engage them in a way that would lead to unity. It just created more and more divisiveness. And that's just been hard. It's been hard for all of us. Here's what's felt different to me about the divisiveness the past year is it wasn't just divisiveness out there. It's, it was divisiveness in the church, and it is. And I don't just mean, you know, in, in our church. I don't even primarily mean in our church, but that's true. I'm primarily thinking of the church at large. And in fact, evangelicalism itself is splintering right now. It's fracturing. I don't know how much you've read about that or how attuned you are to these conversations. It's obviously the world that I live in as a, as a church leader here and, and a church we would call ourselves an evangelical church. I want to read to you a quote from the, the president of Christianity Today publication, Timothy Dalrymple, who he's just commenting on the divisiveness right now within evangelicalism. He says, new fractures are forming within the American evangelical movement. Fractures that do not run along the usual regional, denominational, ethnic, or political lines. Couples, families, friends, and congregations, once united in their commitment to Christ, are now dividing over seemingly irreconcilable views of the world. In fact, they are not merely dividing, but becoming incomprehensible to one another. So the place where I felt this most in, in me, you know, was around the 2020 election. I have conversations with different people and, and I felt that incomprehensible. There were certain people, it was incomprehensible to them that why you would vote this way. And then other people, both Christians, that would say it's incomprehensible to me why he or she would vote this way. Now let's allow this proverb, this verse to speak to our time and place. If you could put that back on the screen, if we could. This is verse two. I want to emphasize now of Proverbs 18, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Commentator Derek Kidner wrote this about this verse. This proverb describes a fool as someone with a closed mind and an open mouth. That's a bad combination. You know, someone with a closed mind and an open mouth. Guys, I have been this kind of fool in the last 18 months. I can look back, I mean, literally, I can look back to phone conversations or you know, other conversations I've had where, where this has been me. You know, the, the, the closed mind and the open mouth. And, and at times it's hit me and I've been like, oh, Lord, help me repent of that. I, I, I need to listen, I, I need to hear. And yes, we also need to stand. You know, this is the tension of that. It's like, we wanna be open-minded. Yes, we do. The scripture would call us to that. Is there a place that we also need to stand on what God's word says? 
Absolutely. So how do we carry both of these? This is a very important question. As I read this proverb, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only expressing his opinion. What I'm reminded about is I cannot stop listening. I cannot stop. It's one thing that Jesus was amazing at. He did a lot of teaching, but what's most remarkable if you read the red, red letters, the red words in scripture is how many questions Jesus asked. Uh, you know, yes, he made a lot of statements. He did a lot of you know, truth teaching and he asked a whole lot of questions and he listened to people. We, in our culture, in our moment in time and even within our church, I think we have stopped listening to each other to a certain degree or we only listen long enough and we hear a certain word or phrase or term that in our minds automatically categorizes a brother and sister in Christ in some political camp or the other political camp. And, and we just sort of like, well, okay, they're, they're one of those. What would it look like? This is the question I wanna ask us this morning. What would it look like for us to take pleasure in understanding? So what I wanna do this morning is spend the rest of the message time applying this. Uh, what would it look like for us to take pleasure in understanding? And I wanna apply it in a very practical way. We're, that's what Proverbs are for. They're meant to be lived, they're meant to be applied. So we're actually gonna talk about a significant issue, like a, an, a, an important issue in our context that, that I want you to hear from uh, a perspective on this. In a few minutes, I'm gonna invite J.R. Garrett to join me up on the stage. And I wanna give you some context. You're gonna to get to know J.R. a little bit better in a few minutes, but I, I wanna share this with you. Right before the pandemic hit, we were in our Colossians series and Lloyd taught a message on unity in the body that, that came out of the verse in Colossians about how you know, Christ calls us to be all united. And Lloyd invited J.R. to come up on stage and Lloyd did an interview with J.R. about racial tensions in our country. The very next week was when we had to go online only because of the pandemic. So that message was intended to be brought to Franklin the very next week, and we haven't been able to. And so when I saw the opportunity to teach from Proverbs, and I was praying about how God would lead and what Proverbs he would lead me to, and one of the things in my mind is I'd love to give an opportunity for our Franklin campus to hear from JR because it was a blessing to our Brentwood campus. And, and I, I want you all to be able to hear from him. So I'm gonna invite him up on stage in, in just a minute or two. JR has been a part of our body for a long time. I'll let him tell you more about him and his family. But here's what he's meant to me. He's been someone that I've been able to talk to about the racial tensions in our country and ask the awkward questions. Like he's given me that permission, which I really appreciated and hear from his perspective. So what I've wanted to do as a, a church leader and one of your pastors in this conversation about the racial tensions in our country is I've wanted to hear from multiple perspectives, but particularly perspectives that have the common worldview that we do, which is a biblical worldview with Christ at the center, but that come at this maybe from an angle that we don't because of our experience, or many of us don't because of our experience. So Jehar has been one of those individuals for me. And, and I have to just say this before, I, before he comes up on stage. Part of the effect of this last year or so is that even the act of me introducing this topic and inviting Jair up on the stage creates in many of us an instinctive reaction on multiple sides of the equation. Um, some of you are right now, like you're literally wondering, and you don't need to be afraid to, to, to wonder this. Like, is there an agenda behind this? Where is this going? Maybe you're thinking it, it feels like, is fellowship trying to be a woke church? 
The answer is no, <laughs> by the way. Uh, of course, you know, what, what does woke actually mean? That's another conversation. Others of you are instinctively thinking right now, it's like, it's about time. Fellowship engaged this conversation, like we're overdue, et cetera, et cetera. I want you to know up front what our agenda is. Jesus Christ glorified. That's honestly what I want and what I desire. If our church is here to help people find wholehearted life in Jesus, then we have to say there are certain issues that following Jesus in our time and place requires us to ask the question, how would Jesus engage this issue in our cultural moment, in this place and time, in our shoes? How would Jesus engage this? And, and, and part of the answer, I believe, is, is not as, as we don't want to be culturally isolated people, nor do we want to be culturally woke people, at least if you, if you mean that in certain agenda contexts. We want to be Jesus people. And if we're not able to have this conversation here as Jesus people, I don't know where we're going to have this conversation. So we're, we're not shying away from it, but we're going to put Jesus at the center of it. So now with all that context, JR. Come on up. I want you all to meet JR. Uh, he's going to make his way to the stage. Um, we're going to have a couple chairs going to be brought for us, JR as well. And um, let me just say, thank you for being here. I know it's, it's not a small thing for you to agree to, to give up your time and your energy and um, be willing to come before your family of faith and join us in this conversation. So yeah, thank you for that. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay. I want you to get to know JR a little bit. So JR, first question I want to ask is just tell us about you and your family. Yeah, I think there's a picture of them on the yep. There it is. We got there it on is. the side screens. Um, so that's uh, my family. It's my wife, Portia. We've been married for over 13 years. And my three little ones, that's Avon, who's eight, Nola, who's six, and Isla, who's five. Uh, that picture's from, like, 2019 because we took COVID very seriously and hunkered down all of last year. So there are no Garrett uh, family photos out with a photographer and all that fun <laughs> stuff. They're all silly ones of us in the house um, being crazy. Um, yeah, so that's the family. Um, been here since 2012, started at the Brentwood campus, but my wife and I um, have always been at a fellowship. We really love fellowship because of the experience we had um, when I was younger, and so we were looking for a smaller campus, so found uh, Brentwood, and it was too large for us, so came to Franklin, and we've been here ever since. Great. Yeah. All right, tell, tell us a little bit more about you. What do you do for a living, et cetera? Yeah, a um, little credential dump that I hate doing. Um, so uh, I'm an executive in a healthcare company here in town. Um, I run our uh, legal and cybersecurity department. Um, so I'm, I'm that guy who tells you to change your passwords like 10,000 10, times. I and hate not that to, Not to reuse them. Not yeah. you, but. That's me. I'll, I'll literally lock you out of your device if you don't. Um, but I love it. it I, I've enjoyed it. I've been um, uh, very fortunate in my career um, here in town. Um, I've got a Jewish doctorate, I've got an MBA, I've got an undergraduate degree in philosophy, and as soon as my wife gives me a green light uh, and one of my friends to get a PhD, I'm going to do it um, because I, I enjoy learning. I very much uh, uh, enjoy growing as an individual. Excellent. Well, I'm going to start with a really awkward question because I, you've given me permission to ask you awkward questions. Why are you here? And here's what I mean by that. I, I look around this room, I'm like, I see a lot of white people. I don't see a lot of black people. You all have been at our church for a long time. There's a lot of other churches you could go, there'd be a lot more black people at that church. Yeah. Why are you here at this church? The philosophy major in me wants to say, well, why are any of us here? <laughs> <laughs> what does it all mean? That's a good question. Um, but there, uh, 
practically I met fellowship because uh, whenever I came to faith um, in college, uh, there was a fellowship Bible church there. Um, I had grown up and been going to the Southern Baptist Church, and I just, I'd never enjoyed the experience. It was always off because of how I learned, right? Um, and so I went to the Fellowship Bible Church because it was not a nomination, and it focused on the Bible. Um, and so got on there, and it was a beautiful thing. So we got there, and there was no college ministry. And they didn't even think that I was a you know, six-foot, 230-pound football player. They were like, I don't care. Can you can you start, help us start our college ministry? So me um, in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and a buddy of mine uh, started our college ministry, and that church did a fantastic job of pursuing um, everyone. I mean, we had uh, every ethnicity um, at the school was represented in our church. It was a fantastic place to come of faith and learn. And so I've always gravitated towards that model that I that kind of was grew up in um, from the time of my you know. I tell people I actually believe and my faith had a cost to it was in college when I started a fellowship. That's great. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So some of y'all don't know this. There's not a denomination of fellowship Bibles, but we all kind of come from the same root. We all come from the same DNA. So a, a Bible emphasis, expositional teaching, that kind of thing. Thank you, Michael, yeah. for that. So that's what drew you to fellowship. Absolutely. MBA. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's the for me personally, that's the best way that I can engage in um, my faith. It's 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 from Scripture first, right? So I know there are a lot of church churches that have great anecdotes and they're really topical based, but I'm very much more of I want to go line by line and hear what God had to say um, and what He's calling me to in my my faith. Okay, so let me give you some context and then for, for this next question. Um, so I, I'll admit I, I was one of those folks that. You know, when, when the racial tensions really started getting hot in the last, you know, couple of years, I looked around and I said, I don't have a lot of people of different color in my friend group, you know? And granted, you, we look around the room, depending on where you live in Williamson County, depending on where you shop in Williamson County, where you go, you see mostly white people in Williamson County. Um, but I, I realized hey, if, if I want to lead um, our church and if I want to even just have wholeness in my own heart. I need to have around me some people who are different than I am, who see the world differently because of the color of their skin, et cetera. And, and I, I was just curious about some things. So Jay and, our, JR and I started having lunch once a month, probably a year and a half, two years ago when, when it's been. And, and it's been extremely helpful for me. He's helped me learn a lot. And one of the things he's learned that I want to ask him about next is really about how he sees the world differently or maybe he, I'd say it better, he experiences the world differently than I do in some important ways. So again, united in our view of scripture, united in the gospel, united in our faith, united a whole lot in common, and yet your experience living in our community is different than my experience living in our community in yeah. certain ways. Yeah. And so I'd love for you to kind of share more about that. Yeah. Well, for starters, I'll piggyback off uh, how you started around divisiveness, right? So I'd been in a community group uh, for years, actually, and I, we, you know, broken bread together, we prayed together, we talked about all the other sins that we were working through as individuals um, and as, as married couples. Uh, but there was one thing that we couldn't get, get past, and it was conversation around race. So these are people who had been together for years, uh, who'd actually done life together, um, and we couldn't find harmony as it came to the topic of race, regardless of what side someone was on, we couldn't see Jesus in those moments. And that divisiveness destroyed that group, right? So, I mean, many of them aren't even at this church anymore because we couldn't get past that. And so that is a major fear of mine 
in the church is that if people who are doing life together and not just casually showing up on Sundays and smiling at one another can't have a conversation around what God has called us to as it relates to minorities, then there's, there's legitimate concern um, in this church and the church as a whole. Mm. Yeah. So when I'm hearing that, like here, I'm bringing my whole heart into this jar. Yeah. That makes yeah. me feel really sad. Yeah. I, I, feel, um, I, I feel that sense. I, I've, and I see in my own heart sometimes an unwillingness for me to say, man, this is something that I really want to explore because I have fear in me too. Yeah. And I think we all do. And I think depending on your perspective, there's going to be fear coming from a different place. Yeah. So share with us, and this is what I really want. I want you to share with our congregation yeah. what it's like to be JR, to, yeah. be, to be a black man yeah. living in Williamson County. So it, lawyer answer, it depends. Um, it depends <laughs> on what context I'm in, right? So um, everyone in the crowd are seeing me on stage now. They see how I'm dressed. They hear me speak. So I check all the boxes society tells me that I need to do to be accepted as a black man, or at least to get to the point to where I can now be involved in the conversation. So I've got the degrees, uh, you know, I've got the, you know, family that everyone's like, oh, you have to have, you know, this, you know, 2.5 kids and that whole thing. I've got a good job. Um, but it's whenever I'm not dressed like this that I get, that it changes. It's a shift that people see me differently. And it's tough because it doesn't, there's nothing fundamentally about me that's different. And I always get people saying, oh, I would never do that. I see people for who they are. I don't care about what they wear. I wasn't raised that way. And then I change. So, and again, similar to how I did the Brentwood campus. Whenever the change happens, it's interesting to see, it's interesting to see how people engage with me differently. So I love going to Starbucks. <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows. I love Starbucks. Blonde Roast is the best one. <laughs> but anytime I go to Starbucks, there's an internal battle that goes on every time. I can't just go to Starbucks. I have to change depending on where I just came from. If I just came from the office, then I'm fine. If I just came from the gym, I have to change because when I walk into the room based off of my size and my skin color, fear immediately happens or judgment immediately happens. So now that I'm dressed like this, most of you see me differently, not in a bad way, but if you were to lie and say, oh, I would engage that person the same way the one who was initially on stage, then you've got a heart issue that you need to engage with. So walking around in Franklin or being in this church, I have decisions I need to make every time, even though I still have that same pedigree, because I want to be accepted for my humanity. I want to be seen as a person. So Rob and I had, were having a conversation this, last week, and we were talking to what does leadership look like. And Rob, and I gave an anecdote, and Rob said, yeah, that's, you know, that's how leadership works. We all have to get people to come to our side, to see us. I was talking about how I have to walk in and how I have to make everyone feel comfortable. And Rob said, well, yeah, all leaders have to do that. And I said, well, Rob, you're trying to lead to get someone somewhere. I'm trying to be accepted for my humanity. I'm not trying to get someone anywhere. I just want to be seen as a human, as an image bearer of God. 
That's what I'm trying to do. So I'd love to not have to change every time I went to Best Buy to return something that was over a few grand because I love technology. But every time I do that, there's three managers coming to check to see if it's real, if the receipt's real, and I need a valid like an ID. Right? I'd love to not be immediate threat as because I had a conversation with a police officer. It wasn't Brad. Brad's amazing. Not not here. Um, not him. But who said as soon as I step out of a car, based off of my size alone, I'm an immediate threat. So. I'm fearful for my son in the future because he's going to be way bigger than me. His grandfather's 6'5", 280. Hmm. So my son's going to step out of a car, and because of the color of his skin and his size, the cops are immediately going to unholster that gun. He's going to put his hand on his weapon because there's a threat there, regardless of whether there's an actual threat or not. And so experientially walking around in a world that, purely based off the color of my skin, not who I am, I'm an immediate threat. That's difficult. So based off where, my, where we live, most likely, at some point, my son's going to experience some of what I experienced growing up, right? So I started playing uh, football when I was seven, and through seven through 10, there was an active KKK where I played football. So I was like ushered to and from practices. Hmm. So in, again, in high school, going to meet girlfriends' dads, <laughs> that was always an interesting experience, depending on the ethnicity of the girl, right? And so my son, based on where he lives now, could very likely have that same experience going to someone's house and them seeing a little black boy coming to take their daughter out if she's, a, 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 if she's, if she's white. Mm. And that, that's heartbreaking to have to explain to him, oh, well, you're not seen as a human because of that, or you are, but they just want to stay with their own kind. That's a very difficult thing to explain to a person because that's an inherent devaluation of who you are as a person. Or having a conversation with friends who live in Brentwood who's also doing, I mean, he, he's in a great place in life. He's a senior counsel at one of the Fortune 50 companies. And his five-year-old daughter comes home, and we weep together because she was told by the class she couldn't play because she was black. And mind you, she's biracial. <laughs> uh, so she's, she's not 100% um, uh, black. But that's a heartbreaking thing to talk through and work through on a consistent basis. So regardless of whether we think these things are happening or whether you want to invalidate my experience, I'm not an N of one. This is happening across our community and in our community. In Brentwood, one of the first people who came up to me afterwards said, I'm going to be scared of your kind no matter what you wear. That's in our faith. That's, that's in our body that that was said right to me after I was on stage. And so if you think that doesn't exist, and that's your choice. You're choosing to be blind. Let me take this in for a minute. And let me ask a question of you, because what you're saying right now, I think, is creating in my heart and probably a lot of hearts out there this tension. Because I, when I hear you describe the way that you're treated differently because of the way you look, that creates in me, like, anger. It creates sadness for my brother in Christ. At the same time, I'm fighting internally to be like, but that's not me, but that's not me. And I think that, that's how most, most white people would, yeah. would think. They'd be like, well, don't paint me with that brush. Um, and yet we want to hear, we want to listen. And, and, I, and so that, that to me is like the razor edge of this whole issue yeah. is like, are you telling me that all white people are racist? Is that what you're saying right now? What, do you, what, what are you saying? Because I'm not that way. So yeah. just help, help me with that tension a little bit. Yeah, so I... I, contrary to what a lot of 
um, pundits out there. I, I don't think that's true. I don't think that everyone's racist, right? So that would, that, that would be, um, that's too broad of a stroke, right? But I do think that everyone does a good job of masking what's really in their heart and why. And I think because of that, they're not at a place where they could admit their biases or prejudice or how they stereotype or how they generalize on a, frequency, on a frequent basis to the detriment of other people. So, by the way, all, I, all JNR talked about ahead of time was here are the questions we're going to ask. <laughs> I'm trusting the spirit to lead like the follow-up in, in, in this. Um, as I just heard him answer that question, what was coming to my mind is there's only a certain number of ways that you can interpret what you just heard about JR's experience. And, and this is true for me too. I, I can say in my heart, I can say, well, he probably is overly sensitive to that because he's looking out for it. it. Maybe it's in his head. Or I can say, this is a real experience that my brother in Christ has that I don't think about when I go to Best Buy. I don't think about what I'm wearing when I go to Starbucks. I just show up wherever I am. And where, where I hear him pushing me and pushing us right now is into a holy place because he's, 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 he's saying... It's between you and God in your heart to wrestle that through. And, and I, for one, I want to share with you all through these conversations, um, I've had to wrestle with that question. One, one of the things that I want to share with the body, and then I've got another couple questions I want to ask you, JR, is I want to share with you all something JR told me one time that, that revealed some stuff in my own heart that I wasn't aware of. I asked him one time, I said something to the effect of, you know, JR, what would be one of your hope and, and desires for, for people at fellowship on this issue? And one of the things he said was, he goes, well, one thing is when we read in Revelation that the, the new earth is going to be populated by people of every tribe, nation, tongue. He goes, I'd love for our body to get excited about that. Not just say, well, that'll be all right. And Guys, when he said that, I was like, oh, that's been me. Like when I've read that verse, I've been like, oh, okay, that'll be an okay part of heaven, but I'm not excited about that kind of heaven. Like I'm not excited about that. And, and honestly, as I've thought about that, I've, I've thought, oh man, but the heart of God is this amazing unity within all the diversity of how he created human beings from every tribe, tongue, nation, ethnicity, et cetera. So I just, it, it, I had to say this because I want to let you all know that, that we all have an opportunity and responsibility to just say, God, I, I want to be, I want to follow Jesus as best as I can. If there's places in my own heart that I'm unaware of, would you show me? Would you reveal them so I can love, so I can love? Yeah. Let me ask you this, JR, when you, what's your desire for us? It's a similar question I asked you before, but when, when you look out right now, this is your body, this yeah. is your this is the body you belong to, you and your family. What would you hope for us from this, con this conversation this morning and this conversation in general? Yeah. Um, prelude from you, what you just stated. Um, so my identity is in Christ first, right? So that's anyone who's met me, they'll know that's the, the forefront of my conversation with anyone about who I am as a person. It's about my faith. I believe we have been reconciled to one another by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that was also true in 1850, and slavery existed. That was also true in 1950, when voting rights were an issue. Like, I mean, 
we, we could do this all day and continue to try and Jesus juke around how we think through identity and what, we, what has already been accomplished by Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, it's your job to bear my burden, just like it's my job to bear your burden. And so we, as I think through that, I always come back to what this church has done a fantastic job of doing. And as think, when I told Eric this, it's like I'm talking the day they did, like displayed the, the whole heart and he started talking through thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices. I was like, Eric, this is probably one of the best things I've experienced in a church. Because if you think through thoughts, emotions, desires, choices, as you engage on any topic, Jesus is going to penetrate that topic. And so on the topic of race, I did the same thing. I stopped and said, well, when it comes to my, my desire for the church is, when it comes to thoughts, how are we thinking about what God has called us to do and be for our brothers and sisters in Christ that are in the minority population? Do we allow where we live to dictate that in our thoughts? Do we allow um, our ideologies to dictate that? Or does God and scripture dictate our thoughts as relates to the minority community? Our emotions, do we care? Do we love mercy? As Christians, we're uniquely positioned to love differently. We are to love with a servant heart. We're not out there with swords on the attack. We are here to love in a way that's much different than the rest of the world. And I find too often we love similar to the world when it's convenient. But that's not the emotion that God's called us to for our brothers and sisters or the marginalized or the poor. Our desires, do we desire to be in heaven and see every tribe and tongue worshiping the Lord experientially that I get, I get amped about that. I feel like I'm about to go run onto the football field when I think about that because that's going to be a singular tone going to the creator of the universe and that image is beautiful to me and I long for that. And because of that, how are my choices impacted? Do I choose to pursue justice for those who don't have a voice? Do I pursue safe spaces that are convenient or do I pursue bringing that future vision of the kingdom here on earth at my table? Or am I putting a bunch of people around me that confirm what I think or what I like or what I want to do? There's no cost to that. I want my love to come at a cost. So my choices based off my thoughts, emotions, and desire is going to be to pursue that wholeheartedly with people around me that are oftentimes, they look just like me, and that's beautiful. But they should also not look like me because that's a full picture. That's a more accurate picture of what forever is going to look like. Mm. Jesus was uh, in the disinherited. Jesus, in historical context, he wasn't wealthy. <laughs> he didn't have power. He was just love, walking here on earth. He came from the top to the bottom to show the model, to show what it means to love your neighbor. Him loving his neighbor was coming here and saying, I will die for all of you. I'll take every sin for all of you. So my desire is for everyone in this congregation to ask themselves the question, are you a good neighbor? Are you a good neighbor? As, um, as you all are thinking about this and praying about it, I want to encourage you on a couple areas. One is, I, I know for me, um, 
the desire and willingness to have a conversation with someone who has a different life experience because he's a different ethnicity than me has been impactful. And I want to encourage you along those lines. And one of the ways that we want to pursue this at fellowship is by creating opportunities for relationships to emerge with people that aren't in the same homogeneous cultural space. So the four um, local partners that we've selected to partner with are all ones where we've said over time, we would think this will give us an opportunity as a body to build relationships with people that are outside of our normal social context. And that's a big reason why we chose those four. So over the next several years, you're just gonna hear more opportunities to engage with those four local partners. I wanna encourage you to do that. that. That's one thing that Fellowship's gonna be doing on this. The bigger issue, I think, for all of us is where JR just took us. It's in our own heart. And I think that's where Jesus would lead us. And so what I wanna do is I wanna give us a chance to follow Jesus in this moment by taking the Lord's Supper together. So go ahead and pull out the elements of the, of the Lord's table and I'm gonna lead us through this and then JR, I've asked JR to pray for us, to pray for our body. So pull out your communion element. JR, I've got an extra one for you if you've got it. Yep. You don't have it, okay. Um, when we come before the table, we recognize that Jesus Christ, as JR just reminded us, he died for all. He had in mind a body of Christ that would be, look like a beautiful unity of diversity. And that's the tension that we wrestle in right now because unity is what Jesus would call us to, not divisiveness. And at the same time, it's not a unity that it's like, well, everybody looks alike and everybody thinks alike and everybody has the same life experience. It's a unity that comes from putting Jesus Christ as the center of everything. And how does that change me? How does that transform me? How does that transform JR? How does that transform us as a body to put Jesus Christ at the center? That's what we're about at Fellowship. We're going to put Jesus Christ at the center. We're going to be word-centered, which is the first of our core values. We're going to put God's word, and God's word points to Jesus Christ, and ultimately, it's going to take us to this moment each week where we celebrate the table together. So this is a picture of the unity that is in the body of Christ bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, and I want us to lean into it. So take out the bread that you have. Um, let me remind you that this bread represents the broken body of Jesus, that for anyone who's put your faith in Jesus Christ, the broken body of Jesus is for you to reconcile you to God and to build a communion of saints to the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's remember the death of Jesus as we eat. And Jesus described this cup as the new covenant in his blood. And the blood was spilt to cover the sins so there could be a new relationship. That's what covenant means. It's a way of relating God to humanity. And so the new covenant is not based on a single ethnicity that God chose to have relationship with him. It is now based on Jesus Christ and the new humanity that has been won by Jesus Christ, bringing people from every tongue, tribe, and nation together under the commonality of his shed blood. And so we drink this cup in remembrance of Jesus. JR, would you pray for us? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability to come together as a church, 
seeing one another, loving one another, encouraging one another. God, in this moment, I pray for open hands and open hearts that we can always be willing to pursue what you've called us to do, who you've called us to be, and that how we love those around us is completely centered on you. May our thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices center on who you are. May we love one another fully and wholly. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.